Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 12, The Alternate. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and you should find us and follow us because we love engaging with all of you. Whenever we get the chance, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, direct them to either our Facebook page or our Twitter account and answer accordingly and have a lot of fun along the way. Promise to keep it spoiler light as much as possible as we do on this show as well. But yes, tune in everywhere and have a good time with us where we talk Trek in all its forms. Perfect. So tonight, yes, David has said we are talking the alternate, but before we get started in that... David, how's your week been? It's been good. I uh, just got done today. Uh, today is Easter, so we're just with family today. Got to see my two nieces, um, which are this is great. I have one who's four and one who's a little over one. And um, the one-year-old is crawling now and making noises and can kind of respond to things. Like, can you say, Dada? Can you hold up a one finger? And it's it's kind of there. It's in that area where it's like she doesn't know what she's really doing yet. Um, but certainly we're getting some response back from her. Uh, my four-year-old niece is all the personality. Uh, she's just hilarious. She's so cute. Uh, we had a little uh, fun today at church where after the sermon and everything, we had a little um, confetti egg uh, contest where it was like the kids versus adults. And my poor niece, uh, she was kind of tired by that point, but she loves hitting people, but she couldn't handle getting hit. You know, she got hit, she started crying, and maybe she got hit too hard the first time. Maybe it was actually a pain thing, but part of me thinks that um, just her personality, she's she's very outgoing, and so she likes being the one to, you know, do the hit. She hits you with the confetti egg, but then doesn't like that it's actually a two-way street, but part of the fun is you also get hit, and she was crying, unfortunately. I was so cute, but look forward to seeing more of them. Uh, my brother and his wife just moved into a new house, so I got to see their new house. But the thing I really enjoyed this week was watching um, the show, which I told you a little bit about, um, Only Murders in the Building, with Steve uh, Martin and Martin Short and um, Selena Gomez. It was actually a really fun show, I have to say. It has like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, if I remember correctly. Hmm. So it has really good reviews. It's on Hulu. Um but it's it was fun watching it because part of the plot of the sh- of the story is that the three main characters are actually recording a podcast of what they think is a murder in the building that they all live in, and you know here we are recording a podcast. I'm like I can relate to that, and uh, <laughs> it's really funny. The characterization was was enough to like to just drive the plot. Um, so I really enjoyed watching that. Uh, I suggest anyone who gets a chance wants to kill some time has a Hulu subscription. Um, the episodes are only about 35 minutes long, so they're fairly short compared to other things out there. 
and only 10 of them, so it's a relatively short series, but there is a season two apparently coming, um, so I look forward to seeing that. How about you? Nice. What's to do with you? Well, you know, mainly work and home and, and workouts, of course, those continue. Um, been pretty proud of myself staying consistent at about four days a week going, Great. you know, and, Perfect. um, yeah, I don't feel as tired anymore. So that was always <laughs> my, my biggest lament was always feeling so tired. And I think now I'm finally starting to come into that adjustment phase, you know, so things are working out pretty well on that. Good. Work seems to be pretty consistent right now. And, you know, my, my daughter is doing pretty well at school, um, uh, school was out for the, you know, they got a couple extra days off for yeah. Easter and everything. So they were out on Friday, which was Good Friday. And then, of course, they're out tomorrow, which is, I guess, Easter Monday, if that's how you mm-hmm. want to think about it. So she's gotten a nice four-day break from school and uh, <laughs> spent time with some family, had some, you know, hijinks there. But other than that, we've been um, been pretty good. I actually started watching... Because I've I've wholly given up on Halo. I I thought about it. They had another episode that came out. I think this is episode four or five. I've kind of lost count. Um, right. Already I've lost count. That's kind of disappointing. And um, I just don't have any interest in watching that show anymore. I yeah. did watch... And before I tell you about the new show, I will say that I also watched the newest episode of Picard that la- that dropped um, just this past Thursday. And it was so great. Here's my... So stop right here. Spoiler, all right? But again, we try to keep it mild. So (laughs) I did appreciate, really enjoyed seeing James Callis in the episode. For those of you who are familiar with anything, with a lot of sci-fi anyway, you know that James Callis um, played the character of Gaius Baltar on the reboot Battlestar Galactica. So that was kind of the last major sci-fi thing that he was in. He's done a lot of voice work. In fact, he is the voice of um, Alucard on the Castlevania show on Netflix right now. So yes, so you can hear his voice there. That was probably the most recent project he did. And they wrapped that one up about a year ago, I think. Um, And so now, yeah, this is the first thing that I've seen him in, um, you know, live action anyway, in quite a while. Obviously, he's a bit older than when we saw him playing Gaius on Battlestar Galactica some 20 years ago. But <laughs> um Yes. But um, I still, I mean, he was great. I loved his characterization. I loved kind of the mystery about who he is, supposed to be, whatever, as they played this out in the story. I will say that, I mean, I don't know if it was that... Was James Callis that good, or was Patrick Stewart that bad in this episode? I just feel like there was a lot. <laughs> I, I, I just there were. I just felt like there were a lot of scenes where it seemed like Patrick Stewart was kind of off. He was missing the mark a little bit, and apparently, I'm not the only one. I saw that some other people had also remarked on the same thing. Felt like he was either strictly reading from cue cards and not really trying or whatever, or that he was just kind of the the phrase I kept seeing a lot was phoning it in that he's he's kind of gotten tired and he's doing this this is kind of a a drop-off episode for him which is interesting if that's the case considering the subject matter that they were dealing with it was all about your you know family and spousal abuse and how kids look at that you know growing up and not really knowing what's going on between the parents and all that kind of stuff and if you know anything about patrick stewart you know that this is very much a draw on his own personal life he has talked very frequently and openly about the fact that he witnessed his mother being abused at the hands of 
his father and mm. you know there were some mitigating circumstances there because they didn't understand what was going on with his mom and didn't understand what was going on with his dad turned out his dad was really suffering from a very severe form of PTSD following the war but of course because of things being the way they were back then diagnosis for that and treatment for that was wholly non-existent awful. right yeah, shell you know, shock was the shell shock was the original time. term right yeah and so he's talked very, uh, again, very openly, very candidly about the fact that, like, he never really knew that about his father. It wasn't until years and years later, you know, and then they were talking about shell shock and PTSD and everything else. They kind of realized his father presented as a classic case and just no one knew it, you right. know. So so there's there's a lot of that that goes into this story. So, again, for it to be something that is seemingly drawn directly from Patrick Stewart's life, and put into the story, the fact that he seems to be not as interested is interesting to me. Maybe it was something that he just couldn't really deal with. Like, he thought he'd be able to handle it, and then when it came time to actually portray it, he couldn't do it. I don't know. Um, There has been some complaints because of the fact that, you know, it's like, this was not something that we ever knew about Picard, right? We knew that he had a strained relationship with his father, father yeah. but we didn't know that it was to this it was it was that like it was an abusive thing or whatever in there and so some people feel like it's a bad characterization of uh picard the of the of maurice picard who's that's picard's father's name right it's a classification uh, yeah portrayal of him that we never heard of before and are people concerned it's a sure. retcon of the character yeah to that... a certain degree considering that we've really only we've barely ever heard maurice picard be well, as far as i remember much. from tng i mean i haven't watched the films with the tng cast yet but the tng episodes the only one that really ever brought him up was the one right after the borg attacks at wolf whatever nine three five nine and he was assimilated yeah, yeah and that was the and family he episode and his he... brother and right the wine with the vineyard that is and right. uh yeah, and Good even then, and even then, it doesn't seem like his father didn't like him or anything like that. But it was more like his father just didn't understand him, didn't realize his his son was more into the future than preserving right. the past. That was kind of their differences, you know. Yeah, the father more was of all, a, it wasn't abusive in the in like the right. physical or even necessarily in the emotional sense, just more in like that the, the two of them never understood each other, and therefore that caused a serious yeah. strain in the relationship. And then his brother kind of took that tension in the relationship onto himself and right. then continued that awkward, right. un- unpleasant dynamic between right. them as brothers. Yeah. And so then as they're exploring this whole dynamic here, they really kind of just twist a lot of that. And there's just a, a, a whole bunch that is added on that if you're trying to reconcile it with what you saw before, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. So if you're if you're not very familiar with the Picard storyline, you probably watched this and thought that this was a very nice deep dive on the character but then there were some things that were wholly lacking like for example where's his brother where's renee they never showed it so it's almost like a they make it seem in a lot of ways like picard is an only child but we know that he has an older brother that's the other thing too he has an older brother so that was wholly missing here as well so maybe they'll address that in the coming episodes they've got a little time there because i mean right that was only episode seven so i think they're doing 13 for this season so they got a little bit more time to you know fix some stuff work some things out Yeah, yeah right but, of course, I'm most excited about the fact that, one, they've already finished filming season three. And uh, season they dropped three, the trailer. And they've dropped the trailer. And 
all of the original cast from Next Generation TNG. is coming back for it. Everybody, including Michael Doran, which, of course, is... I, I, we all love Worf, um, despite his many, 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 many faults. But everybody's <laughs> very interested to see what he's going to look like. Now, there's been some... Yeah. Stuff that's been released saying Worf's going to look like Worf, you know, which is great. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of complaints because Discovery does a huge thing with the Klingons and changed them drastically. And, you know, with Worf being kind of our our unofficial ambassador to all things Klingon for the longest time, the fact right. that there were so many stark changes to the Klingons really bothered a lot of people. And then right. bringing him back could have been seen as problematic, you know, but... Sounds like they're just going to be like, we don't care what Discovery did. We're this is Worf. This is how people knew him, recognized him. This was the look that he had. I know that there's going to be some touch-ups. You know, he's got to look older. You know, things like that. Yeah. But other than that, other than the aging him a little bit, there's not going to be a stark change in Worf. So right, we should be okay. Right. Um. On to the, real quick, I'll tell you about the show that I was watching. It's called Big Sky. Um, it was recommended to me by a colleague from work. Um, and it just barely, just barely passed the three-episode <laughs> the three episode test. Yeah. So as I've told people before, you get three. Every show gets three. Right. You get three episodes, and that includes your pilot. So if your pilot, you know, sucks, you don't get, there's not three more after that. That's it. That was one. Right. Well, so watch this ep- watch the show and the show is set in Montana and it's about these uh two women who are private investigators. They right. used to one used to be a cop, another one like went to the academy but then dropped out right before she graduated or something like that. And um they established the, the dropout established a private detective private yeah, a PI firm. And she ended up going into partnership with the other one's husband. And then okay. they had their own little ins and outs. The husband and wife separated, but they were supposedly working on the relationship. Meanwhile, of course, he was actually sleeping around with the other one who was the partner in the PI firm. Mm. And then through some things that happened when they're starting this investigation, he ends up dying. So then the two women are now forced to work together to solve his murder, and then the actual case they were all on. Right. And the actual case that they were on. So um, all that to say, again, the the first episode was really rough. Um, The only actor who I was even familiar with was Ryan Phillippe, who I don't know if... He was was in that movie Cruel Intentions way back in the late 90s, I think was when that came out, with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Reese Witherspoon. Can't and, say I've heard uh, it. <laughs> oh well, it—that's an interesting movie. I, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but that was really the last thing I ever remember him being in. So I hadn't—he hadn't, at least for me, hadn't been in anything recently. So to see him pop up was a bit of a surprise. And right. honestly, I thought he was the best part of the pilot. Everybody else kind of sucked. I thought he was great, and then he died, and I was just like, "Well, not going to watch oh, is this." Was he the detective husband? Yeah, he's the detective husband who goes. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so then I was like, "Spoiler uh, well, alert!" Season yeah, episode oh, sorry, one. <laughs> sorry. Yes, spoiler. He dies. 
But, you know, then they kind of go through the the rest of it, and they did a really great job of presenting us with um, who the villain is and the story, um, what they're really up to, because, you know, you you think it's one thing, but it turns out it's something else. I did like that a lot. I You know, instead of it being like a very simple, basic, oh, this guy's a murderer. No, there was more to it than that. And then there's, you know, they they layered the murderer character very well. And I think that's what really got me through the next couple of episodes. So after the third one, I stopped, thought about it, realized I did want to continue the story, see where things go. And I have to admit, like every episode that I've watched, I don't feel like they've dropped off at any particular point. Consistently getting right. good, better. Right. They're, holding their, right. Yeah. They're holding the story pretty well. They're, even when it seems like they've introduced a new character or there's some kind of new layer that seems to slow things down a little bit, you realize pretty quickly that you needed that piece to move you forward. And then it leaps forward in a pretty big way, but it's still consistent. And it makes, it makes the story follow a, a, a nice pattern. So right. I like the fact that it's like, it's building on itself. It's building on its complexity. And this one thing that you keep being like, I wish they would do this. You're almost glad that they don't because then they give you another piece of the story. That's like, even though that's, you feel like it's slowing you down, it helps build and make everything satisfying. So if you're interested in those kind of shows, those kind of, um, you know, it's like a lazy Western to a certain degree. You know, they got all, it, there's a lot of cowboy everything. Cowboy hats, riding <laughs> horses. Everybody has a truck. Everybody's driving a, a Bronco. Just all of that. If you can get past that aesthetic and just into the whole mystery and tracking down and who's going to find who and all that kind of stuff, it's really not bad. So, uh, yeah, check that out if you want to. Gotcha. It is on Hulu. So, yeah, just watch it with your Hulu subscription. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. So, now that we've told you about what we've been up to in other shows that we're watching, let's talk about the reason that we're here, the alternate. So, did you want me to give the recap, or did you want to do it? I I think you're good for this one. I think I did it last okay. time, and again, you are you love Odo, and this is an Odo-centric episode, yes. so let's yes, have you go is. for it. Okay, so, in hitting the highlights... This episode, um, which was the 32nd episode of Deep Space Nine, by the way, um, this episode starts in Quark's, where most of our episodes seem to start anyway. (laughs) And Quark is trying to sell these little discs, and in the disc is the desiccated, chopped up remains of someone named Plague. He was a uh, Ferengi uh, businessman who apparently brought holography into the next generation, <laughs> right? And yeah, so Quark is trying to... Yes, the hollow sweets would not be the hollow sweets without the late Great Plague. So, <laughs> so Quark is trying to sell these. He's given a grand speech about how wonderful Plague is and all this kind of stuff when Odo walks in. And Odo starts to give him a little bit of a hard time about, you know, the fact that Ferengis chop up and sell their dead. He gives him this big spiel about death rituals and so forth. And basically intimates that he wants to buy one of these because it's his hobby. And um, this he's going to leave a special place for Quark on the shelf of dead Ferengis. Yes. (laughs) And so this of course takes Quark back a little bit. He's surprised because normally Odo doesn't engage in anything that, that he's has something to do with. Yep. But he agrees that he begins to 
finish the transaction when Odo brings him up short, wants to guarantee that it's plague. We find out that it wasn't plague, that it was, well, we don't know who it is, but basically plague is still alive. So Odo has agreed to launch an investigation as to one who sold and scammed Quark with this fake plague that he's got and um, move on from there. But they're interrupted by Dr. Mora Pohl, who is a Bajoran scientist who had studied Odo when Odo was first discovered. Um, so Paul comes, he's onto the station and he's obviously trying to reunite with Odo, but he also has another motive. Apparently a Bajoran probe had scanned a planet in the Gamma Quadrant that seemed to indicate that it had similar organic characteristics to Odo. So he basically sells Odo on this whole, this could be your planet of origin or something like all on those lines. We've got to go and check it out. Odo goes to Cisco, who is in the mo- middle of a very tender, funny moment with, with Jake, which we'll get to later, <laughs> yep. and um, basically asks for permission to use a runabout. He tells Cisco everything that's going on. Cisco agrees. Um, Odo, Dr. Paul, and Jadzia, and I guess Dr. Paul's um, assistant, get on a runabout, go through the wormhole, find the planet. The planet is pretty ideal like you know it's got these like ancient city ruins whatever on it but there's like they're in the rainforest right and they're looking around there's some seismic activity you know but it seems to be nothing major until dax decides she wants to beam up this obelisk which is standing in the middle of the ruins as soon as she does that everything starts rocking and shaking and whatever else i think this thing must have been some kind of weird linchpin cornerstone or whatever Um, so they're all now trying to make a hasty retreat themselves. They get sprayed by what appears to be volcanic gases, which causes everybody but Odo to pass out. Odo is able to get them all beamed up onto the ship, make their way back to the station where now they're being administered to by, um, Dr. Bashir. Um, but before I forget, I must remind my everybody, there was a small sample of some kind of life form that they found on the planet. Um, yes. Shifting, looking, ferrous oxide, whatever. They're calling it a life form. Could it be Odo Jr. or a cousin, right? Right. So while everybody else is in the infirmary being treated by Dr. Bashir, in the science lab, o- um, O'Brien, O'Brien has set up a little science table or whatever else to contain the thing while they're running their various scans and everything else. Jadzia later joins them, basically, you know, ready to get back to work despite Bashir's objections. And again, we'll get to <laughs> we'll that We'll get into later. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, well, they leave well, it to be... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, they leave it to be uh, examined by the computer overnight um, when they come back. No. Was it when they came back the next day and the Petri dish was has completely been shattered? And the well, O'Brien... Well, uh, I'm sorry, Kira wakes Cisco in the middle of the night saying there's an emergency and they go to the right. lab and the lab has been destroyed and the sample life form is gone. Right. And so they're now trying to track the creature down. They noticed that there were some various power drains and rise in temperature. Um, Odo, not Odo, but O'Brien ends up crawling through some of the Jeffries tubes, which 
We'll come back to that, too, because I don't know if they're called Jeffrey's tubes in the Cardassian station. But anyway, he's crawling through them in an attempt to find this creature. He hears a strange noise, thinks that there's something up ahead, and then he is surprised when this goo kind of rains down on him and on his hand or whatever else, which they assume to be the life form. It must have electrocuted itself, basically, and died. Um, Bashir's... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. We're, I'm going. trying to get. Yeah, Bashir is studying the remains that from in the infirmary from when he was at, when the yeah he was attacked. Um, no, he's yeah. They're waiting for results. Dax leaves the infirmary. He Bashir hears a strange noise. He goes to check on Doctor Paul. The lights go out. The temperature rises. This thing attacks him in the shadows. He ends up defending himself with a laser scalpel yes. and the thing goes back through the duct um bashir reports the intruder alert um dr mora wakes back up and he's talking with jadzia and she's looking at the remains that they had found and comparing the samples of the two he realizes that the um DNA sample matches Odo, but doesn't say anything to her. He goes to Odo's office, and he basically confronts Odo, and he's kind of like, you don't know anything really about yourself. This could be you. It could not be you. He's asking about his work. Are there any you know, unsolved right. cases? All this kind of stuff. Basically, he really antagonizes Odo and works him up. Odo gets so frustrated, he loses control and kind of morphs into this giant blobbity thing and somehow Mora escapes and makes it to Ops where he tells everybody that the creature you're looking for is actually Odo. It seems to be some kind right. of like split personality and that right. it has some kind of awareness of Dr. Paul um, and that he is antagonizing Odo in some way. So they lay right. a trap to flush Odo out of the various ducts that he could be crawling around in by placing Mora Pole in basically a very dangerous situation to draw him out. Uh, it works. They trap him on the promenade with all the force fields. Eventually, um, he wears down and reverts back into his normal Odo shape. And it turns out that he had been affected by the volcanic gas after all. They didn't think that he had been originally, but it had actually affected him. Bashir was able to remove it from his system and it stabilizes Odo. Um, Odo and Mora share another kind of touching moment, basically coming to terms with the fact that one, Odo's never going back to his lab and two, that he does, I guess, begrudgingly think of Mora Pole as some kind of father figure without really saying he's a father figure. And Mora Pole is just kind of like, I recognize that you're actually, you know, a person and not something for me to experiment on. It's kind of how I took right. that. I'm not going to ignore your feelings anymore. And, uh, you know, I recognize you were a prisoner, whatever, all this kind of stuff. Basically saying, I recognize fully you're a sentient being. I never should have tortured you in my lab, all that kind of stuff. And then they part ways, but Morapole hopes that Odo will keep him at least informed on his life. Odo agrees. And that's essentially the end of the episode. Hitting the yeah. highlights there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I kind of interrupted you a couple times. I'm so interested in talking about certain things that instead of just waiting to talk about them, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. It's, it's hard. It's hard. You kind of just want to do like a point by point breakdown sometimes, but man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
This is this episode is a lot, and it gives us a lot of great stuff. Um, of course, about Odo, who is a fantastic character, and you know anything that gives us a little bit more of any of the characters' backgrounds, we're always here for. But right. Odo, Odo is truly a mystery here. He is he is not from even this side of the galaxy, let alone the same you know planetary system or anything like that. So yeah, yes, learning a lot, learning anything about him is always a plus. Right. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. This episode, um, well, we've we've heard several times now that Odo was in the care of a scientist, a Bajoran scientist, for s- some amount of time. And to see this scientist, Dr. Maura Paul, uh, show up and we get to find out more about him uh, was really interesting. Um, they didn't get into the bit where, you know, it's like, why would the Cardassians let a Bajoran scientist experiment on a you know another life form particularly a life form that can transform itself into anything else like you know except having difficulty to really replicate you know human uh not human but you know humanoid features but it can transform into any physical object with ease um it seems a bit strange that the cardassians seem to not be interested in studying that them directly themselves, but we don't get any answers to those questions. We instead get to find out more about Dr. Maura Paul and his relationship with Odo. And in his interaction with Odo, he does certainly express, um, he does express pride in Odo and he's surprised by the success that Odo has. But as he talks, you get a sense of he's being kind of patronizing, not intentionally. Yeah. He's not intentionally trying to insult Odo, but he's mm-hmm. like, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize how you're doing this or that? Do you realize that you're, you know, using the scientific method to solve crimes? Have you ever thought how, in, how close those two are to each other? And Odo is in this weird spot of like, he agrees to like, oh yeah, you know, the, the scientific method and determining things as a detective, you know, they have a similar process. Um, but you get the sense that Dr. Mora can't, he's having a hard time really coming to terms with Odo as a fully fleshed, fully realized person. Um, he is the scientist who's more interested in the thing that he is studying than the person he's interacting with. And that really shows itself in part when they're on the runabout going to the, the Gamma Quadrant and he's talking to Dax, who, by the way, does get a number of scenes in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I do want to mm-hmm. say that now. Um, but he's telling Dax all about Odo and Odo is right behind him and he'll like tell, all right, Odo, tell her what happened. Like he's like. Not he's talking about Odo if he's not there, and then suddenly he turns to Odo to like confirm what he's saying. Mm. It was an awkward conversation for Odo to have, and Dax seems to understand that it's an awkward conversation, but never brings it up, never says anything like, "Hey, uh, I don't think Odo is enjoying the conversation as it's being told." But um, when it comes to when we come to realize that this being that's going around the station and attacking is actually seeming to attack. Anything that has to do with Dr. Mora, whether it's the um, Dr. Mora himself directly or anyone in his way, we come to understand that, yeah, that Odo does have this very complicated history with this man who in some ways is kind of like a father figure, but in many ways is not. You know, he was not treated like a son directly by Dr. Mora. He was treated as a science experiment, um, and that, that really complicates the relationship to a level that yeah. Odo 
has it's been traumatized and that shows itself in this as you said split personality that it's just this blob thing that growls and shakes and attacks things it doesn't have a you know it doesn't have like any emotion it's just it's just pure raw uh you know id i don't know if that's the right freudian term but you know it's just attacking whatever it feels as anything to do with dr mora yeah i mean i would also i would agree like you seem to he doesn't have this split you know um like that scene that you were talking about where they're on the runabout and he's trying to tell the story you know it reminded me a lot of you know kind of like overbearing parents you know like they're so eager to tell these stories you know and they want the you know the kid to you know kind of supply the their own narrative but they just can't wait to get to certain parts and they keep interrupting and correcting and and all this kind of stuff which is annoying to the kid as a person who's who's lived through it, and I hope I don't ever do it. I right. I, I see that, and I um, that's what I was thinking too. Was like it's funny to me how annoyed Oda was trying not to be, but right. really was. And yeah. Dax just being very polite and entertaining this, and and uh, letting these two individuals talk and kind of share this kind of familial moment. Um, right. But yeah, you know, a lot of how. Maura Paul talks to Odo throughout the episode is, um, you know, it's kind of, it's like a split between the father-son dynamic to also scientist specimen. You know, he's yeah. he's very dismissive of Odo's, like, life and work and, and things like that, which, again, you could you could read that either way. Is this, is this the scientist, him talking, or more like the, pa- <clears throat> excuse me, the parent? Yes. Who's like, oh, this is what you became? Like, after everything that I taught you and gave you, you're a, you're a police station, you're a police officer on some way station in space. Is yes, what he says, that's exactly you know? right. And yes. so he's, so either way, it could be the disappointing parent who's like, you, you could have been anything and you chose to be this. Or it could be, you know, again, the science mind of him too being like, you know, I, I, there was so much work for us to do. And he keeps saying that a lot too. The work, yeah. Odo, the work. Do you not miss yes. the work? There was so yes. much work. You know, yes. and it's just like, into a, a degree, he creeped me out a little bit. Cause I was like, are you, do you miss him or do you want to cut him open? Because you're, <laughs> you're the way you're delivering this. It's all yes. over. You could, it could be yeah. either one of these, either you miss your son and you wanted to come home. Cause you want to spend more time with him or you right. can't wait to put him back in a Petri dish and do whatever. Right. You know, exactly. So it was, it was off very off, but in a good, like good for the story, bad for us. Cause I was like, I, I don't like Dr. Mora at all. <laughs> I don't, I don't like him. Well, <laughs> so. I think you're, you are totally right. You are hitting this 100% on the head. And I think part of this is also exemplified when he talks about being called constable. Like, Dr. Mora notices, I don't remember who it says, but I think Cisco. it's Cisco. Cisco tells yeah, him, so he's like, I'll yeah. give the order, constable, and moves exactly. away. Exactly. And then, so Mora turns to him and says, constable? And he says, it's a nickname I barely tolerate. And then he says, no, it's a It's a sign of affection that you don't know how to... Uh, handle yeah, or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. So he actually has insights into Odo as a as a person, mm-hmm. um, and he. I think actually, I just want to say this. What I'm getting at is that Doctor Mora as a character, I think, actually does do a good job, as we see by the end of the episode, especially of kind of sitting on the fence of is he is Odo a person to him? Is Odo a thing to him to study? The 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 thing that he studied 
has become a person and he mm-hmm. hasn't been able to fully transition. And by the end of the episode, he does transition into agreeing and uh, believing that Odo is a person and does deserve to be free of the scientific process that would poke and prod him like he wanted to do all this time. Right. Um, but yeah, I actually, that's why I like this episode in that sense. Dr. Mora, as this character we've heard about and we've now meet, he is a fully realized character in this moment, uh, in this in this episode. He he does have that gray area as as someone who has both challenged Odo, but also put burdens on Odo and traumatized Odo. But yeah. Odo also appreciates him. It, it's it's all the things, all the things that you can imagine from any sort of parental relationship is there, and all the baggage of being treated like a test tube subject is also there, yeah. and. Um, yeah, the reason that the that Odo, as we find out, the reason that Odo broke into the lab the first time is because he wanted to free the life form that was being held by O'Brien and experimented on. Dr. Mora believes that Odo was trying to free that life form from any experimentation that Odo had gone through at the hands of Dr. Mora. And I, as you were recapping the episode, I think what when O'Brien finds that goo falling from the ceiling, he says the creature is dead. I, I think that what that is actually true, that the creature had been freed by Odo, but died in the escape process. And Odo, I thought that that was like some sloughing off of a former form and like it had evolved oh, or something yeah. and to with the creature that was then terrorizing the station. But no, I, I should recap. It was like, Oh no, that makes sense that Odo is the creature, but he accidentally caused the death of the other life form in his rampage. Um, not intentionally, it killed itself by touching something and dying. Um, but yeah, that's that's what makes sense to me, at least. So. No, I, I absolutely agree, and I think that um, you know you were saying like more of pole riding the fence. They are not really sure. You know, I think we see that exemplified. Um, even in that scene we were talking about earlier with being on the um, runabout with Jadzia Dax, you know, and he's telling the story and Odo says, I had never seen anything like these creatures before. And Poe corrects him and he's like, well, he didn't have eyes. So it's not, yes. he didn't see us. He had never perceived creatures like us before. And I was like, it's a distinction that is not necessary. And even Odo yes. corrects him too. And he's like, I was trying to explain it in a way that would make it easy for all to understand, you know? Right. So it's just like, again, that kind of belittling your, are you, are you person? Are you thing? You know, whatever. I, again, I liked it for the story and kind of the evolution we see at the end where these two kind of come to terms with who they both are as as sentient beings. Right. So I like seeing that uh, play out. But also at the same time, I didn't like it because Odo is my, one of my favorite characters. And I, just, I don't like when people put down my favorite characters. It's yeah. just a, Don't antagonize Odo. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ahead, but as, sorry, serious, sorry. as serious as this episode is, of course, we get some really great uh, moments with different characters, too. And, of course, talking about good old Ben and Jake Sisko. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about them for a moment. 
we get to see a little bit of the Cisco home life, you know, where Cisco is home, he's relaxing on the couch, he's reading, you know, we don't see much in the way of like interior design or whatever, but it's clearly, this is, this is Cisco at home, Cisco at rest, right? Yeah. And here comes Jake wearing another god awful Jake original, <laughs> and he is trying to get out of some homework to go and meet Nog to do whatever they're going to do, and Cisco busts him on getting his homework done. And right. it's all about a Klingon opera that he apparently yeah. was going to have a test over. And so Jake's like, oh, yeah, I'll be ready for the test. But Cisco's like, you know, what does he say? Um, it's, it's, it's not, not about the test, it's the about test. the learning. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, uh, you know, see, so he basically he's telling Jake, you're not going anywhere. Sit down, listen to the opera, and really kind of absorb the culture. And right. it's he tells him, you know, invite Nog over. I know Nog's got the same test. You can both stay here, listen to the opera, appreciate Klingon culture, and move on. Right. And um, one of my favorites is uh, Jake's like, oh, when's the last time you listened to Klingon opera? And, and Cisco's <laughs> like, when I was about was your, your age. age? <laughs> and he was like, there, do you see? And he's like, do you see? <laughs> he's like, what? So because you suffered through this, I have to too? And he's like... That's right. <laughs> so it's this <laughs> yeah. great, great moment between the two of them. I mean, and again, as we've said before, all the moments between the Cisco's seem to be really great. They're well thought yeah. out. If you could say nothing else about the goings on between those characters, those moments are clearly very well thought out and they're very well yes. executed. I, I will give young Jake Cisco a lot of credit for holding his own with Avery Brooks and, and doing such a great job to be such a kid. You know, he's four, <laughs> 14, 15 years old. No, he doesn't want to study Klingon opera. He wants to go run around with his friend. You know, it's yeah. great. Well, I have to actually say, there's one more thing why I love that scene even more is because after all that you just said, Jake pushes back again and says, like, hey, why do I have to listen to this? And Cisco, for a moment, actually has a great answer. He's like, Look, you don't know what you're gonna like as you get older. That is, you that's might come right. to like, and like for a brief moment, Cisco has a reason, and then he falters off, and you see yeah. it on his face, and he's like, "That's my only good reason." Is like you he's might like, well, like he it. Gave, well, he gave him a good reason, but then he ended it with in classic parenting fashion with because I said so. Well, yeah. Essentially, that was what the ending was. He was like, "Yeah, you don't know what you're gonna be when you get older. Right. You might find yourself surrounded but, by Klingons at some job." Love I did love that explanation though, because it's like when you were you were in school and you're learning math, it's like why well, I have to learn the Pythagorean theorem, and it's like I'm never going to use that. And oh, then yeah. like yeah, if, if a parent or a teacher had ever come back with, you don't know what you're going to end up liking. You're just a kid, so you need to explore everything before. Like that actually is a half decent answer in my yeah. mind, but it's yeah. only half decent because again, if I don't need it, I wasted my time. <laughs> True. <laughs> It's true, and I mean, and uh, I, I don't think there's a person alive who has not uttered that at some point yes, or another to yes, a teacher or to a parent. Right. Oh, why do I go to study this? I'm never going to use it. You know, I'm not. And yeah, that's a great answer. You don't know what you're going to do. Right. You, you don't know. So, right. but yeah, then of course, falling back on the and, and again, Cisco's delivery is so great when he's flashing that big toothy grin you know and he's like that's right you know and he's yeah. ready to sit him down and make him go and uh go and study uh, the opera and everything like that and i assume he leaves to go hopefully change his clothes and also to um <laughs> invite nog over um yeah. i just 
I'm I'm gonna rag on Jake's clothes probably for like the remainder of our run of this show. So you want to get it all out now and just right. just drop no. it in this one episode, or do you want to bring it? No, every because time it comes up. I'm gonna bring it up every time. I'm gonna bring it up every time it comes up because I do know that um, there were a few instances when he actually didn't look half bad. So yeah. we have to wait till we get there. It just takes a very long time. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I have to get it out now so that we can, when it finally happens, I can be like, finally, the yeah. he's, he's dressed, you know? So you told me, uh, I think this past week, you told me that you have gone ahead and watched some of your favorite episodes, and you've been like, oh, yeah. oh David, I can't wait for you to get there. Are you well, telling me that one of those was you went and watched the Jake Sisko Actually Has Decent Clothes episode, and like, no. just to give yourself a little bit of a... <laughs> actually, no, the episodes that I watched didn't actually feature Jake in them at all. Uh, um, it was just... Bummer. Yeah, it was... It was actually kind of weird considering the number of episodes I watched and none of them really had Jake in it. But um, I know that they're out there. I know that they're coming and um, I'm ready. I'm ready for us to finally get there. But until then, I am going to rag on this guy for those terrible clothes. And um, I will say that I feel like that's one thing New Trek has finally like adjusted to. Instead of always trying to hit us with the most outlandish, crazy stuff to say, this is future dress, you know? Um, They've kind of given us things that seem relatable, doable, I guess. I don't know if someone like at cosplay somewhere, maybe at some Comic-Con was like, hey, can you guys tone it down? Because there is not enough polyester in the world to to find in these colors, you know? Or... um, I don't know how many spandex and lycra suits you can make in vibrant shock green like yeah. that, but man. Yeah. So, um, Young yeah. Green's cousin, <laughs> shock oh, green. Oh, <laughs> man. It's just, that is that is one glaring color that you just can't, you can't escape, it's man. It's, yeah. it's awful. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Those colors are always weird. And I, yeah, it must be hard to find a good budget that can give you enough time and space to get a s- certain outfit just right on shows like this. Like sometimes you just got to make do with what you got. <laughs> right, and I'm sure that there was a lot, a lot of that. I mean, especially in the early days of the show, they're on the Paramount set. I wonder how many times they went digging through other like TV shows and costumes and whatever else to cobble together things to make. Quark's clothes or Jake's clothes or some other alien in the background needed some kind of weird dress and they borrowed it from something else and, you know, maybe dyed the color or whatever. There's probably a lot of that that goes on as a way to, like, save on costume budgets. And you can get away with a lot more of that on a sci-fi show, I'd imagine, than you could on anything else, you know? Yeah, all um, I gotta do is slap a "This is futuristic clothing" on it, and that's right. all you have to worry about. Yeah. Well, it seemed like for the longest time their goal was to just rearrange the collars and make it some horrendous color, and boom, you got you got space clothes. Yep. <laughs> so now to to go to another great funny moment, let's talk about when Jadzia returned to duty after being hurt uh, on the on the yes. show on, on the planet. Yeah. So what we're talking about here, of course, is, again, following them being on the planet and beaming up the obelisk and all that kind of stuff, being exposed to the gases. Everybody goes to the infirmary to be be treated. Meanwhile, in the science lab, O'Brien is, you know, tinkering away, setting things up for um, their study. And, of course, Jadzia joins them. And Cisco's like, Dr. Bashir cleared you for duty? And she's like, 
Dr. Bashir wouldn't listen to me, and he hid my clothes so I wouldn't leave. I had to sneak out. With a gown, a gown with my, but the back open. Yes, (laughs) that's right. She says, I had to sneak out to my quarters with a um, hospital gown that didn't close all the way in the back. Yeah. So, so like, man, I that's how hospital gowns are today, right? Like, they right. haven't updated that at all? Exactly. It's like, <laughs> wait a second. Like, four I've years never, from now. For the years. record, I have never once in any of my Star Trek watching history ever seen any character ever wear anything but their normal outfit on the table. Like, they're always – I've never seen a gown them wearing a So a it, depends. it depends. It depends because it's happened. And it really depends on, I guess, the the level of severity they want to convey with the story. Right. So, like in Next Generation, we see it a couple of times, and it's this it's this blue dress looking thing. And right. so, the first time that we see it, that if, if I'm remembering correctly, um, when Picard has his surgery, he's okay. wearing it. He's wearing it then. Sure. Um. Deanna wears it a couple of times, and the one that I'm remembering the most prominently was when that alien ambassador hooked their souls up with those glowing rocks and was making her age. Oh, right, um, right, yeah, so, yeah. He was he was turning her all his negative energies to her, and it was making yeah. her age. So then, yeah. when they fix the problem and she de-ages, and we see her in the um. Um, in sick bay, she's yeah, wearing the blue Deanna. thing again. And, and then, I go ahead. Sorry. Keep well, going, I was going to say she also wore it when she gave birth to her son in right. season two. I think that was. Yeah, was she wore it then too. Um, yeah. And then um, let's see. Worf, I think, wore it in that episode where he gets his spine fixed. I'm well, he didn't wear. Sure he didn't wear. Be. He didn't wear theirs. He had his own little Klingon garb that he wore. It was like a weird metallic gray uh but it must have been something similar right right it was a similar thing but yes i mean we've seen it a scattering of times but it's they definitely don't seem to have anything um rigid in place saying this is the official starfleet right dress when you're what we are saying is that 21st century medicine has already brought us to the pinnacle of Surgical gown technology. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, the desire to have something that closes in the back just never happens. We, nope. we we never get it. So you know what? Gotcha. And thinking about that just right now, like, what is the point of that? Why don't the gowns close in the back? Why do they tie around the neck? You got those little, you got little ties here and there, but for the most part, it's just an open tunic that you stick your hands in and it's on you. Who designed that? Who said this is the way to go? Now, I mean, if you're talking ease of access, how hard would it have been to just make a a basically a onesie and just have buttons in the front that you can just well, button actually, up and then you I think you just actually answered your own question. You said, you know, you put your hands through it, like someone else holds it up for you to put your hands through it. If in the surgical room or wherever they need to be as sterilized as possible, you can't touch anything. I mean, I don't think that makes much sense. I mean, I'm totally wrong. But maybe if the idea is that you're not supposed to be touching your gown much as it is, yada, yada, yada. But that, I, I don't even know. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I just feel like the, the I'm going to need a, a medical professional to explain that to me. Because I feel like logically <laughs> that just, it doesn't make any sense to me that we, that this was decided ages ago. And right. no one has gone back and said, you know what? 
we don't really need that anymore. Right? <laughs> it almost was like it's a weird holdover to when straight jackets were like a thing and using yeah. it all the time. Like it just it doesn't make any sense to me that we're still doing that. So I I would love to have an explanation. Like maybe it is, maybe it's a sanitation thing, maybe it's a combination of that and ease of access. I don't know. But right. the fact that it's still going on now and apparently still going on four hundred years from now, um, doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> at all. I mean, I guess they're supposed to be intrigued with the idea of in this scene anyway, of Dax has snuck out of the infirmary, so based upon where the infirmary is on the station, that would have right. meant that she was basically running through parts of the promenade, a very public area, right, with her gown split open in the yeah. Back. Yep. So there you go. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but the Just... other scene we have to talk about, of course, is the Jadzia Bashir want to get a drink yes. scene. Would you like to get a Raktagino? And he's like, sure, my quarters are yours. Yeah. No, 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 no. He says, my replicator are yours, which I liked even more because he's he makes it very specific to the Raktagino. Do you want <laughs> your replicator or my replicator? And then she's like, we'll just do it on the promenade. And then he gives a little monologue to us. Yeah, he's like, he says, what did he say? Like, she enjoys she it. it. She, yeah, yeah, she enjoys this. One day I'm going to stop chasing her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One day I'm going to stop chasing her, and then that'll turn the tables, and she'll see how she likes it, or something like that. Yeah. And it's just one of those sad little pathetic moments for Bashir. Right, right. once again, <laughs> once again, you're turned down. Oh, go take a very, very cold sonic shower. Yeah. Hopefully that will uh, cool your jets there. Right. And that happens right before he gets attacked, too. So. Right. That's when, after um, that, he hears the noise, and then he goes and has to defend himself with a laser scalpel. Rightfully so, because maybe if you hadn't been having so so many licentious thoughts about your colleague, you wouldn't have gotten attacked. You'd have been <laughs> on the ball. You would have heard when the thing came in there in the first place. Right. So... But yeah. once again, you know, he it's like it's weird. He does something kind of kind of shady, kind of skeezy, whatever, however you want to think about it. But then he immediately goes and redeems himself by yeah. being on the spot and actually striking a blow against the creature, right? He doesn't just right. get attacked. He, you know, gets his licks in, too, with that laser scalpel, which looked great. It was basically a mini phaser, as far as I could tell, the way the, the light shoots out of there. And I was like, yeah, just... Um, you kind of just made your own point for why scalpels are useless. Just get a phaser and set it on a, a smaller setting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing that um, I just want to quickly talk about is the whole idea that the Ferengi, like their death for ritual is they cut up the body of the Ferengi and sell the parts. Like that's such a Ferengi thing. <laughs> Isn't it? Like I want to know, who was the creative genius who wrote that and decided I that? Know. Like I, I just – Thinking about it right now, as you said it, could you imagine being in the writer's room when someone said, oh, and here's my little drop-in for the for the Ferengi, yeah. and just laid that out? I think I would have been, like, stunned to silence and been yeah. like, wait a minute. They cut them up, freeze-dry them, and then sell the pieces? Yeah. And not uh, even, like, it's, like, in <laughs> slivers. Like, it's in a disc. Like, yeah. like, they cut this guy up into thousands of little slices. It's like, that is really disgusting, frankly. Right. Which That's... is why it's hilarious when Odo shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm interested in your death ritual. You earlier said you wanted three bars of gold-pressed latinum. I have three bars right here. 
<laughs> and the way he just lays it out to him, he's like, you know, I've studied all these death rituals. Some people bury their dead, some freeze their dead, some have various memorials, but the Ferengi cutting them up and selling them. Well, that's <laughs> that's just, I mean, it, just the way he says it's like, yeah, the yeah. word you're looking for is awful, disgusting, terrible, yeah, whatever. But yeah, he's just like, that's just too good to pass up. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just <laughs> love the way that he follows it up by saying he's going to have a special place for Quark in his little, like, menagerie you know, of death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just perfect. He's basically insinuating, I can't wait till you're dead. I right. might go ahead and just up the, you know, just start that process right now. Get you Cut you up right here where you stand. I can't wait um, for you to die so I can get a piece of you on my mantle. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, that's essentially what we're hearing here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So that was a fun little opening. And then um, I think that's exactly when Dr. Mora shows up. Yes. And he uses that moment to kind of talk about being a detective and I guess our episode going. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a funny little moment to see how, again, the Ferengi culture is just bizarre. Right. Um, but I have to say, I mean, I, I have an 80s moment for us go, if we want to do a 90s it. corner it's the 80s corner now we'll we'll extend it to the 80s for now yeah uh i don't want to preempt you if you had something planned no i was go ahead yeah so this entire time that odo has been a character on the show you know the idea of a shapeshifter who can mimic anything he wants including humanoid shapes but in this case to a, to a flawed mimicry mm-hmm. definitely brings to mind the Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing, which is the horror creature, an alien horror creature that in the movie has crash landed in like Antarctica and subsequently uh, mimics this entire crew of scientists and subsequently kills them all one by one. Um, it's a, I mean, by, by saying it's John Carpenter's The Thing, anyone who knows John Carpenter, he's known for this type of horror film and this is body horror to the maximum. Like mm-hmm. this, this alien creature is able to mimic people. And then suddenly he can, the alien creature will create mouths and eyes and limbs out of places that don't fit on persons and horrible creatures suddenly pop out of nowhere. And anyway, mm-hmm. horrific, disgusting. And the reason I bring that up is because this entire time I'm like, Odo basically could do all of that on yeah. some level. But he is presented as one of our main characters as a good guy. And this episode is the first time that that's really been addressed in a negative sense. Now, Odo never turns into something that he shouldn't, doesn't turn into another person, and then go on some sort of killing spree. But the entire time I was thinking, you know, this other life form that they got, maybe that's what happened. Um, And the reason I kind of bring that up is because at one point in this episode, um, Dax is talking with Dr. Mora... And the way the camera was on Dax during that conversation, I was like, what's going on here? Because mm-hmm. the the obelisk thing that they found on that planet, they bring it back and they can't figure out what it has to say. And at one point, Odo notices that it's been moved and Dax says, I moved it. So I thought in that moment, I was like, man, if we're going to go like full on the thing, this is kind of the moment where it turns out Dax is actually the one being mimicked here. because She was also the interesting... first well, she was also the first one to recover, other than Odo, from the gas, which was initially said to be because she's a trill, um, whereas the other two were Bajorans. 
But no, that never turned out to be a thing. We never got an answer, at least not in this episode, to what that obelisk with all the true. things on it were. Um, and uh, yeah, so this this entire episode and was making me think of the thing, um, which I never watched myself. Like I, I don't like horror films like that. I just can't do it. But there are like clips of the sh- of the movie on YouTube. So if you ever want to watch clips of the thing, you can go to YouTube and find the most classic ones. And the most cla- the most the most popular one you might you may have seen is when a guy is seemingly dead. He seems to have had a heart attack, and so they go to give him um, the paddles, you know, to, to restart his heart. And as the guy goes down to say clear and put his hands down, this giant toothed mouth appears in on the stomach and, and closes on the. Off. Yes, that's exactly uh, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, and then the, the then the body starts transforming, and it's this gigantic horror scene. Um, so, well, of course, we can't do that with Star Trek. This is a show that was on television. We can't go in that angle. Um, yeah. But it made me think of that the whole time. And I just want to follow up real quickly and say, last year um, there was a game that we popped online called Among Us. Among Us. I don't know if you saw that game at all. It was a cartoonish game. Mm-hmm. It was based on like a mafia or dead body where you have a, a group of people wandering around. Mm-hmm. And in the game among us, you're on a spaceship and you have like up to 10 people and most everyone is trying to get the spaceship to work and they're doing tasks. But one person is the, the killer. Mm-hmm. And in this spaceship, it's, 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 it's insinuated that this person is actually an alien life form that's mimicking a crew member um, and is killing off all the, the crew members one by one. And it's a real fun game because you start every round and someone else is the murderer and it's a lot of fun. I've only played it a couple times, but it was really popular during the pandemic to watch yeah. on street on uh, yeah. Twitch and things like that. So this episode made me think of all that. Um, I was a little disappointed when it turned out that the creature was just Odo uh, turning into like a, a blob-like creature. They didn't fully... They have not yet fully, and I don't know if they ever will fully investigate the idea of a malevolent shapeshifter. Um, so I, I hope they do, because that'd be a very interesting storyline, but I know that that might be hard to do. So we'll see. Well, we do get to see a little bit of Odo the grotesque. You know, like you're right. Well, this is a, this was during primetime television when this was airing, and it was also geared as kind of being a, uh, a bit of a family show, despite the fact that man- handling heavier, darker topics at times, that's always been what Star Trek is, you know, we're kind of pushing the edge of what right. is acceptable as family television. Right. And so we get the scene where, you know, Mora is confronting Odo in his office and Odo is beginning to lose control and he looks like he is sweating turned into melting. And so he's right. like, his face is just coming apart and I mean, that, that must have been either like a mix of like latex and peanut butter melting or whatever because it, it looks pretty awful you yeah know? and he uh you know he was all done up for that of course but i mean that's the closest that we get and then of course he morphs into the giant um formless monster blob thing that tries to break through the um the shield barrier that they set up later on but right. i mean you know as much as there was that bit of you know him being this malevolent creature, we also see everybody's recognizing that this is not actually Odo who would really do these things. And, you know, again, this kind of plays up Mora not really understanding who Odo is, or at least not acknowledging Odo as a sentient being. You know, he, right. he was so quick to try to, you know, antagonize Odo. Again, he's like, they're going to 
want to study you. They're going to put you in a zoo. Like he does so much to yes. really get Odo going. And then, you know, when, when, uh, Dr. Mora goes to this, uh, ops and he's telling everybody, he's like, the creature is Odo, you know, yeah. everybody else's reaction was more thought out and careful. I feel like, you know, we're going to, we're going to try to find a barrier to trap him, not eliminate him, not kill him. We want right. to trap him, set your phasers on maximum stun only if maximum stun doesn't work. And then only if he becomes still malevolent, right. We will use stronger measures, but then again, that's at Cisco's order. So like they, they've already set up a contingency for if the maximum stun doesn't work, if the shield doesn't work and it's this thing. And even then still Kara is right there to be like, Hey, this is, this is Odo we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, and, and Cisco reminds me, he's like, I'm aware, but, you know, my order stands, you know, because he's got to protect everybody on the station. And let's right. be honest, they don't know what Odo can or can't do. And I mean, he's yeah. already hurt a number of people. He's attacked the doctor, you know, so it's just, it was a good plan. But even in that moment, I was like, I feel like these people understand and at least appreciate Odo more than what we have seen from Dr. Mora in his time being on the station. And so I was just kind of like, I like that because I was just like, I don't want Mora to have anything to do with Odo. Like that's how I was <laughs> going this episode. I was like, I feel like he's trying to set this up to where Odo has to, has to leave the station. Like that was the the angle I initially thought when I was watching the show was that right. he determined early on that Odo was affected by this gas and he was going to try to use that as a way to drive a wedge between Odo and the rest of the crew and have to, and make them basically make him leave. Right. And, uh, I was glad that didn't happen, but that also probably would have been a, uh, a more compelling story for us to like maybe see a couple of episodes where he was down on Bajor being poked and prodded and everything else only for us right. to realize, you know, someone realizes that it was really Mora, but I guess they didn't want Odo's dad, quote unquote dad, <laughs> to be so malevolent. So, yeah. Um, and that brings me to, of course, James Sloyan, who played Dr. Mora Paul. Um Guy is a very prolific actor. He was in a lot of shows in the 90s. And in particular, he was on Star Trek a bunch of times. He was on The Next Generation as uh, Admiral Jarok, the Vulcan, the, not Vulcan, the Romulan so-called defector in the episode, The Defector. That was him. He played really? that Romulan. Yes. Okay. In the TNG episode where Worf's son comes from the future to save Worf's life, he played older Alexander, as a matter of fact. That was uh, him. That was him. Yes. Oh, that was thought, him. Now that you start to say that this this actor has been on the show, like I can kind of recognize his face as being on... Yeah, I can see that. And the yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. The voice really gets you. Like, if you listen to the way he talks, the yeah. voice really gets you. So he was on... So again, he was on uh, Next Generation at least twice. Um, he's here on Deep Space Nine. He later popped up in Voyager as well, playing a different alien, obviously. Um, so he's got a lot of, of sci-fi cred, not to mention he was on a bunch of shows like The X-Files, Quantum Leap, MacGyver, Baywatch. The guy just was doing it in the 90s. Matlock, huh. Murder, She Wrote. Uh, just, he was everywhere. Um, right. As far as I know, he is still alive and still acting, so okay. you can uh, still see him in, in stuff today. He's 
uh, 82 years old. Just see that now. He is 82 years old, um, but still acting, apparently. Still going strong. So I would love to see him pop up in some of the newer Trek stuff just to kind of keep the... Um, keep the tradition alive of having him in Trek as one of our like honorable mentions at right. least for as long as he is able, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is James Sloyan. He is a great character actor. Um, yeah. He, he's very dramatic. He gives a very strong performance in every time, every time that we see him. So yeah. I really enjoy him. A well, lot. And those characters are all, all different. Again, like I know we've had some other actors who have also had several appearances as as different races. I can't remember the name of those actors at the moment, but I know it was the fourth episode of this season. Um, the one about Dax, you know, getting her symbiote pulled out. And one of the other actors who was playing one of the Klingons. So he was a guy who was rock Tim Russ, Tim Russ, he, Tim him? Russ played the Klingon who yes. was, no, who, no, 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 not Tim Russ. I'm talking about the other guy, the other guy, the other Klingon. Oh, the other, was, yes. He was also okay. a character actor who had also portrayed, um, a Vulcan, I'm um, sorry, Romulan. Excuse me. I think, I think maybe he did both, but but he had also had parts as various races in, in other in other episodes. And yeah, I'm looking now at um, James Sloyan's um, characters, Admiral Jarek. If I remember correctly, Jarek was legitimately trying to defect in that episode. It was not. Yes. So the the story of Jarek was he had found these communiques about the Romulan potential invasion of the Federation. He did not want the invasion to happen because he was trying to protect his family. And it right. turned out ultimately that um, the Romulans were using him. They were trying right. to, one, test his loyalty, but also because of him, he drew the Enterprise across the neutral zone and right. almost cost the Federation uh, the Enterprise. But, of course, right. Picard, um, Picard was able to kind of see through things a little bit. Also, with the help of Starfleet, he, he receives communication yeah. or whatever. And so he's able to have some Klingon backup. Um, right. And that's what stops, I believe, wasn't it Tomalok? Uh, Admiral um, Tomalak on the Romulan ship that confronted the Enterprise then, and uh, right? yeah, it was yeah. it was Tomalak, and uh, basically they have like a Mexican standoff. Okay, and um, Tomalak capitulates and moves away. Gotcha. So yeah, well, it, yeah, that was a good episode. The episode where um, Alexander comes back. I thought the episode was a little flawed because I'm very picky about my time travel stories. And so whenever anyone does a time travel story, I'm always picky about how they, they make this, that it explain it. And I think they didn't do a great job, but he himself in the role as an older Alexander was fine. He was yes. perfectly fine in the role. He was, was very great... dramatic. He was very emotional in that, in those moments. Like when the, one of my favorites of that episode is the reveal that he is older Alexander. Yeah. You know, um, well, he, I he, love he a, that. He had a physical presence as an older Alexander. I mean, the Klingon race, let's just say it, playing a Klingon is just got to be a blast. I mean, you're yeah, so physical. Yeah. Um, and so to go from playing that character to then playing this character of Dr. Maura Paul, who is just a scientist. He's just, you know, there's no physicality necessarily really required by that part. Um, so that's, that's great. But he was, he's been able to really show his range with these yeah. characters. Yes, he has. And um, he, and, and, and even when he was on um, Voyager, um, I loved him there too. He plays another scientist on that on that episode, but he's a scientist. Aboard who's kind Jatrell. of yes, he is. He in that episode again. He is the alien Jatrell who um, committed 
because of his scientific exploits with basically their version of the Manhattan Project, he decimated the Talaxian homeworld, which another one of our mm-hmm. main characters on Voyager, he was a Talaxian. So he was very familiar with Jatrell and did not want to have anything to do with him. And so basically the story is, is right. it's as much about a backstory for the Talaxian people as it is a story of redemption and forgiveness in a person's dying days. So it's actually a really gotcha. good episode. In fact, when I think about it, James Sloyan showing up on an episode kind of means it's going to be a good one. Like <laughs> he doesn't he he doesn't turn in bad work, uh, uh, you good. know. So uh, I'm High I always <laughs> yeah, you know. And I mean, if you if you just get over the fact that you see him a lot, you know, he he he's just good. He's good at what he does. So yeah. you get a good story out of it. Um, and so that brings me, of course, to the question: Who gave, in your opinion, the standout performance? Who was Top notch in this episode, delivered well, and it was enjoyable. Um, I feel like like Cisco, you know, the the whole thing with you know, the, the two of them, the Ciscos, was was great. But I just have to say that I'm just happy that Dax got more to go on. I don't think there's any standout <laughs> per se, other than maybe James Sloyan as you know, as our doctor here. But um, I mean, Odo was great. You know, Renee Aubergeois, did I say that right? I want to make sure yes. I say his name right. You're, yeah, you're getting it. I'm getting it. It's a, <laughs> it's a fun one to say. Um, I mean, he did a great job as Odo. Um, I think, you know, with all those prosthetics on his face, he's having to act through that prosthetic mm-hmm. um, that, that intentionally flattens his face out. Um, and this episode does a great job of, of giving him that. The, 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 when he's confronted by... The doctor in his in his office, and he is responding in horror and yeah. Um, distress. Yeah, he, I, I guess yeah, I have to say he did the best job overall. But yeah, I just have to say it again. Dax actually had a purpose in this episode. This yeah. was a heavily scientific. We got to figure out what's going on episode. So she's our main science officer. Um, O'Brien and Bashir got to do things as well, which they had they got to do because they were the ones assisting when you know dax was knocked out cold or at least briefly um but yeah i would say renee is the one who really got the top notch overall and i I would agree i think that odo once again comes through for us here um his scenes with dr mora i really enjoyed as well so those two are going to be my standouts um fun little behind the scenes fact the role of dr mora was actually supposed to be played by renee um as well they were gonna oh, kind of follow. Oh, that makes tra- sense. Yeah. yeah, follow in the tradition of you know, like Data. Brent Brent Spiner played both Data and Doctor Nooney and Soong. Right. Um, you know, on Voyager, the Doctor is also played by, uh, who's played by Robert Picardo. The creator of the Doctor is also played by Robert Picardo. So <laughs> um, there's this kind of duality thing that they like to do, but they decided to scrap the idea here because. Renee must wear so much makeup and prosthetics to be Odo. And so yeah. trying to figure out ways to do the splits where he could be out of makeup and do the thing and then be back in makeup. Apparently it was going to be a nightmare to do. So huh. they decided to cast someone else uh, well, to do the role. In- I want to say that that makes a lot of sense that they would have done that. In fact, actually, I think while I was watching the episode, that thought did enter my mind, at least briefly. Like, how did he learn to look like a human, and why would he base himself on anyone? But anyway, um, but, you know, Data, you know, Brett Spiner 
had to put on that. It was just facial makeup, I guess, to give them yeah, that kind of yeah. shiny skin tone. But I imagine that also took time as well. So I mean, yeah, but I would imagine it was probably easier to film all of his scenes with without him having makeup on, right? Film all of those scenes and then be right. done. And then when he's got to put the makeup on, film all that. And I mean, it, he's just applying the basic coloring. But when he played Dr. Soong, there certainly were times when he was playing Dr. Soong as a heavily made up character as well. I mean, there were certainly yeah. some episodes that did not emphasize that. Like the right. first real episode where Dr. Soong is still alive, heavily made up. Like I didn't even realize Brett Spiner was even playing the character initially until I looked yeah. into that later. But in later episodes where they have him like doing like flashbacks or like he's having mental dream-like experiences. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that's that's definitely Brett Spiner yeah. <laughs> playing Dr. Soon. Um, no real makeup change there, but um, yeah, that makes sense. Though. I mean, I guess it just makes sense well, they that... and they Well, they probably learned from them. Like they, I, 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 it was probably easier because, you know, applying the makeup for data, you again, it's you paint it on and you're, you're good or whatever. I'm sure there's more to it than that. Please, right. people who are into makeup and costumings, don't get mad at me for making it sound simple. I know that it's not. Right, right, right. But, from my understanding that they probably learned from that and then doing this and considering that the episode did feature both characters so prominently. And from my understanding, Odo and putting on the mask, it's like a full on deal, right? It's like, mm -hmm. and it comes all yeah. the way down and covers up through the neck and shoulders and all that stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it's not just a face piece. It's a full on, you know, bit. So right. I would just imagine that that was probably like, Someone being like, look, we did this with Brent Spiner. Trust me, it was terrible. <laughs> You're not going to want to go through this here. And so they scrapped the idea. That makes sense, so, actually. Maybe they, yeah. the, the experience they already had told yeah. them what to do this year. Yeah. And it's just, just easier to cast someone else, you know. Right. You're not going to save the money you think you're going to save. That's kind of how <laughs> I imagine that conversation going, you know. Well, I, I'd also say, too, if they were using a number of special effects to, to show off this creature that Odo turns into – um, that was probably a budget in and of itself. So to yeah. have to try and do a split, you know, an actor doing two parts would already yeah. have been hard that's enough a good to point. do. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the the character monster part would have been yeah difficult. And this episode did have a lot of special effects in it. You know, we've got Odo turning into different kinds of monsters. We've got the other little mini monster creature. We've got the the alien planet that had to be created. We've got the force fields everywhere that's going to be trapping everybody. You know, yeah. a lot of stuff going on here that they probably were just like, we don't need to add another layer of complexity here for an episode that we're trying to film this whole thing in seven days. Like yeah. That's the other thing that, you know, I found out about was that a um, Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, they had this seven-day format for episodes, you know? So you that was it. You know, you started on day one, and by day seven, that episode was done, and now you are moving on to the next one. And they right. just kind of churned through them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's why we get 26, 25 episodes, you know? But... Um, yeah, probably a lot. Probably would have taken a lot more to do that with everything else that was going on here. Well, yeah, we have run through this episode quite a bit. Um, yep. Before we end everything, David, anything else that you would like to add? Pearls of wisdom, tidbits you want to drop on us? No, yeah, it's, it's just I always I just I've said it to you before. I'll say it again. We always manage to fill this time up. It's great. <laughs> we can talk about stuff and. And uh, I hope everyone is enjoying listening to us talk about these episodes. Um, yeah, it's, it was a good one overall. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure our dulcet tones have put many a listener to sleep. 
Put it <laughs> um, I will just say real quick, uh, Star Trek updates, of course. Um, as always, you should now all have Paramount subscriptions or be really close to getting them because there's pretty much no Trek left anywhere except Paramount Plus. You still have Deep Space Nine on Netflix, but again, that's going to be ending in 2023. Um, so just go ahead and switch over. Um, Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek series uh, with Captain Christopher Pike, um, is supposed to be coming out in May. I know I said March a couple of weeks ago, but obviously it's not March. Um, right. But it's supposed to be coming out in May of 2022. So we should be seeing some new episodes of that soon. So hopefully um, that goes well. I think it will. I've seen the trailers. Looks pretty legit. I feel like they've really, you know, they're doing their best work here or trying to. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see. Cautiously optimistic. Okay. Um, but other than that, as always, guys, you can find us as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And of course, follow us on Twitter and join us on Facebook as The Fire Caves. And if you have questions or anything like that, comments you want to make, throw them at us. We'd love to hear from you. But until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. 